Good morning. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, happy Advent, first Sunday of Advent. Let me, I, we just, my family's just had a uh, stomach thing coming through. I, I was, it went through six, and then I was number seven in our family to finally get it yesterday. So if I, you know, I, if I pass out in the middle of this, <laughs> Trev will come up and read the rest of it. He'll say something, something better probably, something more interesting. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, we're, uh, we're looking at Genesis. If you're visiting with us, you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Genesis chapter 8. Uh, it's also printed for you in the bulletin, so you can follow along. Um, let's uh, read Genesis 8. We're going to be looking at this chapter. This is our third week in the flood. And um, let's read together. This is, uh, this is God's word. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro into the waters uh, until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to, him, uh, returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. But he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah returned the covering, uh, removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that was with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, you are not far from us. You are not far from your creation that you have made. 
and that you uh, do not scrap your creation because sin has come into it, but you are dedicated uh, to renew it. And you've begun that renewal of your whole creation in us. And so uh, we just give you thanks. We ask that you would be our teacher now as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would uh, apply these words um, to each of our individual lives so that we would trust you more and that we would follow you more and that we would risk more for you uh, knowing that you are at work in us. Uh, Give us joy in the gospel now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, this, uh, as we said, this is the first Sunday of Advent. One, uh, one of my, I, I don't know how long I've been doing this kind of traditions during Advent is I always read C.S. Lewis books during Christmas. For some reason, they, they go together. I think I've been doing that since I was maybe a freshman in college. And uh, right, actually right now, I've been reading a, a biography about C.S. Lewis called The, the Narnian. And it's kind of, a, one of the things that's interesting about his bio, biography, it's not just about Lewis's life, but it's also about his imagination. How did his imagination kind of developed through the course of his life. And in the part I've just been reading is kind of in his younger life, uh, Lewis was an atheist, and he, uh, you know, Lewis probably, by the time he was 16, he probably read more books than I'll read in my whole life. I mean, he's an extremely bright young man, and, you know, he had a kind of youthful arrogance about uh, the miraculous and uh, religion, that uh, it was absurd to him. And, uh, but there were, there were kind of two aspects of Lewis's way of, of seeing the world. And there was this quote that he, uh, that he had that kind of summarized these two aspects well. It says this, The two hemispheres of my mind were in the sharpest contrast. On the one side, a many-islanded sea of poetry and myth, on the other, a glib and shallow rationalism. Nearly all that I loved, I believed to be imaginary. Nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. And uh, what he's saying, you know, what Lewis was saying is that, you know, Lewis looked at the world, he looked at the mountains and the trees, and he, for him especially, kind of the northern Atlantic uh, had this sense of a deep, hidden mystery in it. This, there was some beauty behind the beauty that he could see, that his heart was longing to, uh, to unite with, to behold. And, uh, and yet there was this other, you know, rationalist side of him that said, you know, all those kind of emotions, those feelings that I have when I'm looking at the trees, you know, the trees are just a bunch of atoms. This is probably some endorphins or hormones that are being triggered by some you know, by this stimuli instinctually in me, there's really not any meaning there. So there's this, this contrast uh, that was uh, existed kind of in his heart and his soul. And, and so, you know, like on Thanksgiving, I went, uh, went out in the snow with my kids, Lucy and Will. We, we went sledding by our house. And, and for Lewis, you know, he would have been out there. And, you know, when the, the snow comes, there's this something magical about snow, and especially when it's falling it's new fallen and it's white and everything's white. And, uh, and you know, Lewis would have looked at that and said, there, there's something deep behind this. You know, children rolling around, tackling their dad. You know, Lucy put a bunch of snow up my back, uh, uh, under my jacket. And uh, th- this playfulness that we're living, it seems like we're living in a magical world. That this, uh, it didn't have to be this way. There didn't have to be snow. And yet, for some reason, there is. There's some deep... Uh, mysterious beauty behind the snow that said, this is how it's going to be. And yet, um, uh, Lewis uh, uh, would have longed to look at the world that way, and yet he says, nearly all that I loved, 
Nearly all, you know, that awe, that wonder, that sense of mystery, nearly all that I loved, I believed to be imaginary. And so, uh, on the other side of his mind, kind of forbid him from seeing the world in this kind of, you know, mystical, uh, beautiful way. Now, uh, for Lewis, Christianity was really the thing that kind of reconciled these two things uh, together. And in fact, this passage uh, does something very similar to us, uh, for us, of taking, you know, that longing to, to connect with the deep beauty behind the world. What is that mysterious beauty, that longing? And, and combined with kind of the physicalness and the, you know, the atoms and the, uh, uh, the gravity and the, the science and, and the realness of the world, those two things coming together. And, you know, in fact, you know, we're starting, we're coming into Advent, and that's really the essence of what Christmas is, is the deep beauty behind the world, that God, that mysterious mind actually coming into real time into real atoms, real bones, uh, a real place, and actually dwelling among us. That's kind of the mystery of Christmas, is these two aspects of Lewis's mind coming together in real time. And, um, and for many people, you know, many people think of what Christian faith is. You know, what, is it, what do Christians hope for? Is that Christians hope for that uh, we're going to, uh, you know, you believe in Jesus, you hold on to Jesus uh, until you finally die and you can get away from this world that's full of sin and hurt and sorrow and you can go off to heaven on the clouds and the harps and the, and the wings and everything and uh, you can get away from the physicalness, the realness, the, the hard realities of life and finally get away to the beauty. There's this, this going away. Uh, and what we have... Uh, in this passage is we look at what salvation looks like for Noah. Uh, what does it look like for Noah? Let, just read verse 15 there again. Starting in verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that, you, uh, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by family from the ark. Uh, what this story is about is that God is freed Noah. You know, the, the world was full of sin. God brings his judgment of this flood and delivers Noah out of it. But what does he bring him to? He brings them to a new earth, a new world uh, that's cleansed. You know, all the bodies and the dirt and the food and the animals. And it's, uh, you know, the atoms, the real life, the flesh and the blood. It's all there. It's a renewed world. And the fact is uh, that for a Christian, that is, that's what the hope of a Christian is. Our hope is not to go off to some heavenly place. The hope of a Christian, the salvation of a Christian, is a new world that God is bringing about in Christ. That God has begun in the, in the incarnation where God and flesh became one where God dwelt among us and when Christ comes again and there's the renewal of the whole earth. And so what I want to do as we look at this passage is I just want to answer three questions. Uh, what, is, what is Christian hope? What is the thing we're hoping for? How does that hope about the future, what we're hoping for, a new world, impact now, today? And lastly, how can we be sure of it? How can we be sure uh, that that world is coming? So we're going to uh, look at those Three things if I don't uh, faint any time in the process, okay? So first, what is the hope of a Christian? Now, uh, one of the things to see in this passage is this passage has all these kind of... Allu- you know, as a reader, if you're a uh, careful reader, will read this and notice that it's alluding to the uh, 
creation story uh, several times throughout this passage. So let me just show you a first, uh, show you a few examples uh, that this is alluding to Genesis one when God first created the world. Uh, uh, verse one, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now that word for wind is the Hebrew word ruah, which can also be translated spirit. In Genesis 1, Genesis 1 begins by saying that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep when God began uh, to create the world. And so here we have this wind blowing over the earth. Again, the Spirit hovering over the earth. And then uh, if you look uh, in Genesis 1, it also says that on the third day, uh, let, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And here in Genesis 8, look at verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. It's the same, same, same words being used here. Uh, again, this common theme of dry land. Out of, you know, the waters are parting. Dry land is coming out. It's, it's evoking Genesis 1. One more thing, uh, verse 16. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That sound familiar? That's Genesis 1. That's what God has uh, the animals and humans do is be fruitful and multiply. And there's swarming animals all, all over the place. And what this is, what is being described is a recreation. It's creation happening again. A new world is being born, is being created by God. Uh, and the, what that means is that salvation for Noah looks like a renewed earth, a renewed uh, God's creation. Physical, animals, dirt, bodies, all of that. That's what, that's what salvation looks, looks like for Noah. And, you know, a place like Bellingham, uh, you know, in Bellingham, we get that, you know, healthy, whole human life looks like, you know, having a, a piece of land that you care about and having a body. You know, I, I just watched a little video about uh, Bellingham, uh, about the sustainable connections and, and, you know, there's this big, uh, the ethics of Bellingham are, are that we buy local. We care about uh, farmers who live nearby here. Actually, this, this video said that 60% of the households in Bellingham buy local. That's a huge value is because this is our piece of land. This is our chunk of land. This is that God's given us. We've got to take care of it. We've got to uh, help the economy here. And also there's a sense in Bellingham that um, my body matters a lot about being a human. You know, what I put in it, what kinds of foods, are they wholesome, are they organic? Did I get them in the farmer's market? You know, uh, what, what was this cow eating that, uh, before I ate the cow, right? And because and, we're going to use our bodies, we're going to go hiking, go mountain biking, we're going to be uh, using our bodies. That's what human life is, it's very physical. And, um, and the way that the Bible would describe all these things of kind of living in harmony with God's creation, uh, with who we are, or with each other, and, and all of that centered around living kind of in harmony with God. The Bible described that as shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word is for peace, but really it's wholeness. Uh, wholeness, things being how they should be. And that's the picture that God uh, in, intends for what uh, life, life should be in God's world is shalom, wholeness. And, um, and so as uh, Bellingham people, um, 
we need to appreciate that the, what the Bible talks about of what is salvation for us. Salvation for us is not just about our soul getting away from this prison of our body and this prison of the earth. Salvation means for us God doing for us what he did for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead. And, what, uh, and in fact, that's why uh, when we uh, talk about the resurrection of Jesus, you know, why have Christians for centuries said, no, it was not just his soul that kind of had some vague afterlife. Jesus' physical body rose from the dead. Why, why were they insistent on that? It's because we believe in the goodness of creation and that God does not just scrap his world, but he renews it. And that this world matters to us. And so what uh, salvation looks like for us is God doing for us what he did for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead, is being made whole again. Our bodies, no more, uh, no more death, no more uh, uh, sickness. Um, but in, in all the gifts that God's made me to be, all the, the, the things that I'm passionate about, finally being able to do those in God's world and do them for, in the presence of God, God being here. That, that's what the goal is of Christianity. That's what our salvation is, is that when Christ comes back, God does for the whole cosmos what he began to do in Jesus at the resurrection. Now, uh, uh, and let me just say one other thing. You know, if, if you ever wonder why, why do Christians say that Jesus, you know, believing in Jesus is the only way to be saved? You know, it seems very narrow. It seems like, you know, a lot of people have their teacher and they're following their teacher. Why, why just Jesus? And this is the reason. Because, you know, you, who else is even pretending to offer something like this? Uh, uh, that what God did for Jesus when he raised his body for the from the dead, eternal life in a, in, in a physical, real world? Is anyone else even pretending to offer that? I, no one is. You know, uh, Buddha, you know what he's offering is a nothingness, is a detachment from the world. Uh, that He's not offering it. So it depends on what you mean by salvation. Is Jesus the only way to be saved? Well, what is salvation? And if salvation means the, the re- restoration of human life, then no one's even pretending to offer that except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is even offering it. People might say, here, I can offer you, uh, you know, an eternal existence, afterlife. Your soul will go to a better place. People can offer that. But no one can offer a restored body and a restored creation. And that's what Jesus is offering. And so that's why Jesus is the only way. No, No one else can even offer that kind of salvation. But what the Bible tells us is that um, how Jesus was raised from the dead was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, and actually that the Holy Spirit is going to be kind of the animating power of, of that new life, of that new world that God is, is beginning in Christ. And um, so, I, um, and so I, that kind of leads to our second point. Um, you know, first, what is the hope of the Christian? The hope of the Christian is the same as the hope for Noah, was a new world that he had a share in, he got to be a part of. But the, uh, the second question is, how does that hope impact us now, impact us today. Now, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned last week that um, one of the reasons why I kind of take this story of Noah and the flood seriously is because there's been uh, every civilization in the history of the world, seem, in, in all continents, seems to have flood narratives somewhere buried in their memory. And uh, probably one of the most famous that you maybe have heard of is called the uh, Gilgamesh Epic, which is a Babylonian uh, uh, manuscript that was found 
which is about uh, which has a flood narrative in it. And many people, you know, they say that well, this this Babylonian epic was written about 400 years before before Genesis. You know, uh, Moses must have got all his ideas from this uh, Gilgamesh flood narrative, which is about a flood and a guy gets on a boat and the animals come with him. And uh, and but actually, our you know our earliest manuscript of the Gilgamesh epic is about 700 years after. Uh, Moses wrote Genesis. But one of the things that's interesting about this flood narrative, uh, this ancient flood narrative that's, that's kind of like the Genesis one, is that in both, in both stories, there's the guy on the boat who sends out uh, ravens and doves to kind of find out that the waters had subsided. And so uh, there's this parallel. And I think uh, that it's in this note about the doves, you know, this kind of weird little uh, part of this Noah story that really tells us about what this passage has to do with us today. Um, And what happens is, you know, Noah's on the boat, the waters are subsiding, he sends out a raven, the raven kind of goes out over the waters and is looking for land, and then he sends out a dove, the dove goes out and tries to find water, doesn't find any, and so the dove comes back. And then uh, then it says this in verse 10, uh, Noah waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Now, let me make a couple comments about this dove. You know, this dove is not just a little piece of folklore that kind of got into the Bible. What these doves are are called homing pigeons, uh, which in, you know... you know, when the ancients were sailing the seven seas, you know, you, you ever wonder, how, how did the ancients, when they get on a canoe or whatever, and they, or, or you know, uh, the Vikings would go out in their boat, how did they manage around uh, these vast seas? Well, one of the ways was they would take these cages of homing, homing pigeons, and they're these pigeons that have some, I mean, no one knows how this works. They have this internal mapping system where they can, uh, they'll, you know, they'll be, go on a boat, and they'll be able to lead a boat um, back to a distant place that they've never uh, that they've never traveled to before, and they'll lead the boat there. Um, these pigeons have a way of finding land and fi- uh, getting, uh, you know, mapping out the Earth and using you know gravitational or magnetic forces of the Earth to actually lead boats. And so th- this was this would be a common thing that uh, someone you know traveling out on oceans would have these pigeons. And what these what this dove does is it's leading Noah to the new world. He's leading him to the dry land. So that's one of the things that the dove does. But secondly, it says that the the dove brings back um, an olive branch from uh, the land that's coming up, from the new world. There's a new world emerging. And the dove brings back a token of that new world as evidence to Noah so that Noah knew uh, that the waters had subsided. And so I think, uh, now the reason that all this matters is because when Jesus comes, you know, Jesus shows up millennia later and he begins his public ministry and he's getting baptized and the Holy Spirit comes uh, onto Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes the form of a dove, and is probably pointing back to this story. And uh, the Holy Spirit, um, it's the Holy Spirit who raises Jesus from the dead, uh, and we find out later that it's the Holy Spirit also, that when God gives us the Holy Spirit and fills us with the Holy Spirit, that this is our guarantee of our share, our inheritance in God's new world. 
And so you can see these parallels. And, uh, and so uh, the two things that this dove does in this story are the, are the very things that this Holy Spirit does in our life now and related to the new world. So first, the Spirit leads us towards God's new world. So, you know, uh, Jesus has called us as a church. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has given us new life. He's given us a community. He's forgiven our sins. And what he's called us to do is to be agents of his kingdom in the world. So, you know, we're uh, to care for the poor, to preach good news to the poor, um, uh, to seek justice and mercy, to uh, preach the gospel to the lost, um, to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to, to love our neighbor and serve our neighbors. And uh, he's calling us to do all these things as kind of uh, is that we are supposed to be a piece of God's new world plopped down in the middle of the old world. And that we're powered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to be able to do these things. You know, I'll tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a young pastor. I'm church planting, idealistic, a lot of things, uh, you know, that I, I, I dream of, of us doing as a church. And, you know, one of the big things that I, I've just experienced in the last year, um, both as a church and in my own personal life, is that we, our mission, I mean, you list all those things that Jesus calls us to do, is enormous. We're supposed to be agents of God's kingdom, transformation of, of this world, uh, and, 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 you know, we have just a few gifts, we have a little bit of resources, we have a little bit of time, and there's no way that we are able to do what God calls us to do unless the Spirit is in us leading us, showing us uh, this, is where, this is where we need, uh, this is where we should be serving, this is where God is opening doors, this is where God can expand our resources. And uh, exactly what the pigeon is doing is leading Noah to the new world. The Holy Spirit leads us to the new world. How do we bring the new world uh, into this world? It's by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, but also... Let me see. Hold on, where I am. Um, but the second thing uh, that the dove does is it tells the kind of power uh, that we have as we go out and do these things. So the, the Holy Spirit leads us, but the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit empowers us. And the way that the Holy Spirit empowers us, you know, it's not like this, uh, you know, we feel kind of superhuman and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I feel strong and confident. That's actually not the kind of power that the Holy Spirit gives us. The kind of power that the Holy Spirit gives us is the power of security, the power of assurance. Uh, this is what it says in Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. What it means to be full of the Holy Spirit means that you are assured of God's love. You are assured of all that God has done for you in Christ. And so that you can actually walk out into the world, you can do these things, you know, caring for the poor, uh, loving your neighbor, forgiving people, uh, uh, you know, who have wronged you. Uh, you can go out into these things with security and strength because, uh, you know, how do you have that kind of uh, security in yourself where you can uh, be free with your money, be free with your time, be free with your talents to do God's mission and to take risks with them. And when sp- someone speaks into your life, uh, be able to say, hey, this is, I can take this. I can take criticism and see these are ways that I need to change my life because I have this security because I know what Christ has done for me. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit is to be secure that we are God's children, is to be assured of it. And that's what the dove does. The dove brings this token of the new world to Noah and says, this is what God has for you. Don't forget it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so that kind of leads into our... Um, our, la- our third uh, question, um, you know, what is the Christian hope? It, it, it's of a new world. 
And we, God has filled us with the Spirit now that we are a chunk. You know, you know Paul says that you are a new creation. You are a piece of God's new creation put down in this creation now to show people this is to be evidence of that new world. But lastly, how can we be sure of, sure of this hope? Now, I've already said that the Holy Spirit gives us this assurance. But there's something else kind of amazing in this passage. Um, you know, if you look again at these uh, closing verses um, in verse 20, it says that, you know, after Noah, he's on the boat. Um, he, the water subsides. He finally gets off the boat. He's on the shore. And uh, the first thing Noah does is he worships God. You know, he's saved, and then he worships God. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean bird and burnt, off, uh, burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart. Now, this is really strange. A lot of commentators don't know what to do with what what the Lord says in his heart. He says this, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his, from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now what's interesting is that the Lord says he's never going to flood the earth again because man is so wicked. <laughs> and yet, just a few chapters before, that's why he said it's because man is wicked, that's why I'm going to flood, uh, that's why I'm going to flood the earth. Uh, so it seems like, a con- uh, you know, what's going on here? Well, I think that the key is the setting. You know, Noah comes off the boat and he offers a burnt offering to the Lord. You know, the Hebrew word for burnt offering, it, it's the same word for ascend. And it's the smoke is kind of ascending up to God and it says it's like this soothing aroma to God. And then uh, it says, um, as, as the Lord has that soothing aroma, it says that the Lord said in his heart, Something was stirring in the very mind and heart of God as he smelled this aroma. What was that? What was stirring in him? Well, the book of Romans tells us that as God, um, you know, up until the time of Jesus, God passed over all kinds of sins uh, in the world. He, he passed over them because of his forbearance. Because he knew that at the right time, God was going to send Jesus to uh, die for the sins of the world. And it was as if God, from the very beginning, was looking over uh, this world of people hurting each other, sinning against one another, and God was looking down the hallway of time and saw what he was going to do in Christ, what, what Christ was going to do and go and pay for the sins of the world. And even before Christ came, God was anticipating that. And it's as if here, uh, God smells this sacrifice, and it's reminding him, this is, Jesus is going to come and save sinners. Jesus is a friend to sinners. And that even at the very beginning in Noah, God is looking ahead and, and anticipating that this is what Jesus is going to do. And so for God, how, you know, what secured for God, what nailed for God that he was going to uh, have a new world and restore his creation was he was looking at the cross of Jesus. He was looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And it's actually those two things for us that we look at and that we continue to look at to know that we are, that we, you know, what has God done in Jesus? He's paid, all the wrath of God has landed on Jesus. And Jesus' body is raised from the dead, and, and that's in real history, in real time. And what God did for Jesus, he's going to do for us, and he's going to bring us into a new world. So let me just close with these words from First Thessalonians. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation 
And salvation is not floating off to heaven. Salvation is the, the restoration of shalom, the restoration of human life, our bodies, our hearts, our souls, and, and to be reunited to God through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And as uh, that uh, promise uh, that you were going to do all that you were going to do in Jesus stirred in your heart way back with Noah, would that promise and that hope stir in us as well and uh, help us to look to Jesus, give us grateful and thankful hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.